Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman here with my lovely co-host and sister, Jennifer White. Yay, I'm here. <laughs> and I apologize. I have a bit of a cold. We've been snowed under and it's gotten gotten the cold into me, unfortunately. Um, <sighs> but we gross. have a very, yeah, super gross. Speaking of gross, um, we have a very special guest today who's been a gestational carrier. <laughs> wow, that was time. quite a lead in, speaking of gross. <laughs> But that's not why she's gross. She, uh, no, she's not gross. She's not gross at all. But um, I think it's very – this is a great episode because she really does tell kind of all the intricate details that sometimes they are a bit gross. And I, I yeah. love that she's such a sharer in this episode. Um, Jen, do you yes. have times where things – you know, you, you tend to gloss over a story, but they're actually – it's kind of gross? Um, sure. I mean, you know, how, how much of my medical history people do really, do they really want to hear? Uh, we want, we want the, gross, <laughs> the grossest part possible. Um, so I, when I lived in London, I. Wait, we should give a warning. Like, Those who yeah. are like medically squeamish, like pause for a minute. Okay. You're right. Or skip forward two yeah. minutes, whatever right. it is. Yeah. Um, I, we had a, actually our cousin was visiting and it was awesome and it was great. We had this great day planned and we were going to go see the tower. Uh, we went to go see the tower of London and we toured. And as we're there, I was like, oh, I have heartburn. Like I have this you know, horrible feeling, you know, it just didn't feel good. And we were just walking over to the Tower Bridge to go and, you know, go over it. And we were going to be there while the bridge went up and all this stuff. And as we were walking from the Tower of London to Tower Bridge, which is right there, I collapsed on, on the sidewalk on the bridge. And, you know, like I always tell people that I'm like, yeah, I ended up in an ambulance, got taken to, you know, I, I got to experience all of England's healthcare system. And were you, you know, I was like, talking about were like, you like talking? Were they like, can you get up? And you're just like, I can't. Like, I couldn't. I blacked out for a, a lot of it. Like our, our, wow. our cousin luckily was like, she was a nurse. So she actually like left me on the sidewalk there. She went to go find water because she had no idea what was happening. I had no idea what was happening. Well, she left you um, alone? She didn't wow. have a choice. Yeah. I mean, wow. you know, and she didn't have a phone because she was visiting from the U.S. Yeah. And I mean, like. By the grace of at some point I came to and I was like, um, my purse, where is my purse? You know, like those kind of feelings, like, and luckily some people like surrounded me. They called an ambulance, um, got me. And then when she came back, she's like, I'm her cousin, leave her alone. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it turned out in, after several days of testing and going back and forth that essentially my stomach had exploded. It's pretty gross. Did you do it, one of those? You were doing like an eating competition where you like just ate too yeah, much. Did you win? It, it, no, I, I did not feel Ooh. like a winner in any way, shape, or form. But that explained why I felt like I had heartburn, oh, right? Oh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I went through like a week of hospitalization while they figured it out. Went in, did surgery. Um, I had to have like full drains in my stomach, like draining out all of the acid and all everything on my abdomen. It was horrible. So wow. really, really gross. And like, so that's people really are like, gross, and I'm yeah. like, I always go, yeah, I rode on an ambulance in London. And people are like, oh, that's funny. Right. I'm like, yeah, end of story. That's like, you know, like gloss over right. all the details, right? <laughs> so um, what about you? Wow. What, what gross things have you not shared with everybody out in our listener world? Oh, oh, 
so many, so many gross things. No, I, I know uh, you had some really gross ones. Yeah. So I have to tell you that something that I was really surprised by its grossness was my daughter having her tooth pulled. So I, you know, as a 40 year old adult, I'm, you know, 40 years, I uh, had never realized this. Like, you know, when kids lose baby teeth, they're just like these tiny little white cute things. And they, there was like some teeth going the wrong direction. So they're going to pull teeth you know, years before they, they otherwise would have fallen out. So it was a baby tooth they were pulling. But when they pulled it, like I was just expecting like this tiny thing. And it was like a full unicorn giant bone <laughs> thing. Like I had no idea they were that long and it went back that far. And it was like full on pliers. Like I thought that's what they did back in the day, but this is like 20... 19 current modern dentistry yeah oh my god i thought it was like so disgusting i was like totally shocked that that's what tooth even looked like when it was pulled out um and then they did mention to me afterwards they're like this is why we often don't let the parents come back (laughs) yeah shouldn't have come back um anyway but on to um our amazing guest today sharing her stories and not only does she share some like kind of kind of gross, kind of intimate details but she has a very interesting aspect to her journeys where there was a documentary being filmed at the same time there was like time, i was gonna say oversharing of the other, oversharing yeah, right. a whole other like element to this journey but without any further ado crystal rosberg welcome crystal rosberg to the show crystal first we're going to start with a really difficult question how many e's are in your name <laughs> none what? How can that be? Yay! Poor listeners, we were just discussing how everyone tries to misspell her name and there are no E's, despite Rossberg, you wanting to put a lot of E's in there. I feel like even Crystal, you could try to put an E in, I guess. Maybe more Rossberg. The French do. Uh, I don't know. Yes. I don't think I've ever... That's fair. I was going to say, I don't think it's I Christelle have. Christelle in French. It ends in an E. It's so cute. <laughs> well, Crystal, you have such an amazing kind of life story of everything you've been through. But we do like to start at the beginning. Um, what was your childhood like? Hmm. Were you, you well behaved? <laughs> I feel like you probably weren't. You well behaved? No, I was. I was. What? Super, I, yep. Yep. So this okay, this we is, have, hold on hold on, Crystal. We have your mom on standby to confirm. <laughs> Catching her mom. <laughs> okay, she would her. actually back that up. I was the good child. Um, wow. Yes, I. It's it's what hard happens? for I know. It's hard for people to to believe it now, but I was super super shy, like oh, crippling crippling oh. shyness as a child. Um, I that is surprising. I, yes, I even remember this incident just sticks out in my mind. My parents took us to I think it was like Santa's Village. I don't even know if it still exists. <laughs> when I was a kid and some little elf, you know, someone dressed as an elf gave me a candy cane and she's like say thank you. And I just I could the shyness was oh. so I could not open my mouth. Oh. She's like say thank you or give it back. I gave it back. <gasps> oh. <gasps> Wait, wait, no, the elf no, said that? Yeah. Oh, I was like, wait. I'm like, wow, that would be really rude. Oh, my God, I've been scarred for life. Well, I, I do still remember it like I'm scarred for life, but. No, the elf probably felt bad taking it back, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I just remember that feeling like pff, I'd rather give it back than open my mouth. Wow. 
Wow. Where where was that? Where did you grow up in the North Pole? <laughs> no, I grew up in Southern California. Oh, right. So Santa's Village is up in the the mountains, like um, the Big Bear area. I think I don't know if it's still thing. there, or, but it, yeah, it was a thing when I was growing up. So I think we went a couple times as kids. Right. Oh, interesting. And so obviously you, you did not continue to live in California in your life. <laughs> what was that? You, you, eventually, you did not continue to live in California for all of your life. No. Uh, we, we have known you somewhere else. So yes. as, a, as an adult, where did you end up moving to? Uh, uh, Las Vegas. So when I was 21, I moved to Las Vegas. So I left Southern California. And I never... Did you just go for like a girls weekend and then never leave? Is that what happened? No. You know what? My grandmother moved here in like 94. Yeah. So we started coming here for all the holidays um, to visit her. And at some point when I was 21, uh, I was working at a doctor's office in Woodland Hills. And eh, it was okay. It was kind of wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I kind of thought I wanted to go back to school. And um, grandma's like, come, honey, come, come to Vegas. You don't even have Mm. to work full time and you can go to school and, you know, I'll have company. And I was like, that's the best idea ever. Yeah. But I had already been dating my husband for about a year. And was, he was not in Vegas. No, no, he stayed in California, so we did long distance for a year. He was at Santa's Village as an elf. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I met him that young, but no. (laughs) So we did long distance for a year, and uh, when I moved, it was all with the idea that I was going to go go to school because I kind of I had this um, I had like this obsession with criminology, so. Yeah, so I came to Vegas. Um, I had already had an x-ray license, so I came to Vegas. I was working for an orthopedic surgeon. I was doing x-rays. I was going to school part-time. Um, and at some point, I just realized I didn't really want to go. I didn't miss California. So I told my then boyfriend, ah, I know I said I'd come here and come back, but I don't know about the coming back part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think about moving to Vegas at some point? So he eventually did. And we wow. put our roots down here. Nice. And what first um, introduced you to this world that we discuss every day in our podcast? Where, where did you first hear about assisted reproductive technology and surrogacy? Um, I was working for that orthopedic surgeon and he was just a monster. And oh. <laughs> but I, st- oh. I stuck it out for four years. Yes. Oh, wow. Um, I know. And uh, one day I was just like, you know what? That's it. I don't need to work here anymore. This is crazy. <laughs> so I left. And um, at the time, uh, we actually owned a salon in town. So oh, I went and I, I helped out. At the, yeah, weird. I know. Totally random. Um, so my husband ran it and I still had kept my my other job. So when I left that job, I went Helped out at the salon for a little bit. And I was like, I was folding laundry. I was folding towels. I was like, this is worse than, ugh. I can't do this. <laughs> I hate laundry. It's my pet peeve. Me too. So, so worst thing in the world. So I was like, I got I to gotta get back out there. I got to get my own job. I'm out of here. So um, 
I just started applying. And when I applied at the um, Fertility Center of Las Vegas, I didn't even know that that's where I was applying. It just, you know, said they were looking for front desk or billing or back office or whatever. I kind of had experience in all of it. So I just applied, went in and got the job and worked there for the next, you know, almost 15 years of my life. And then when you went to the interview, you're like, so what do you guys do? Did that, no? Yeah, I was, when I came in and I just kind of realized what, what it was, where I was, what was happening. I was like, this is, this is really cool. I never imagined myself in a place like this. And, um, you know, I started at the front desk and moved to the billing department where I spent many years and finished out, um, supervising the third party reproduction department. Uh, and by that time I had done two surrogacies. So the first surrogate I remember walking in the door was like maybe 2008 or so. Um, and it was still even like a strange concept then to most of us in the office. We're like, wow, she's carrying somebody else's baby. That yeah. is so cool. <laughs> wow. You can imagine everybody whispering through the oh, office. Whoa. Yeah. It was, it was just, it was just so neat. And from there, it was just kind of like planted the seed. Yeah. No, that totally. And you're like, maybe, maybe not just a job. Maybe I, I would do this. Oh, totally. Time. Yeah. It just kind of planted the seed. And at that time, I had only had one child of my own. Um, mm-hmm. I waited, I spaced mine out for about four years, about four years. Um, so I knew it would, even if it was something I did, it would be much further down the line. So after I had my own baby, I was still there and we were doing even more third party work at that time. So it just, you know, it was in my face every single day. And I thought, gosh, you know. And for I those who don't do know, this. when you say third party work, that's surrogacy, egg donation, Donation. Egg donation, yes. And how did you first broach the topic with your husband? You're like, hey, I hate folding towels, but I'm cool carrying someone else's child. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, you know, the first time I mentioned it to him, he thought I was crazy. He just kind of laughed. He's like, yeah, nope. <laughs> um, and, but it was just kind of like one of those things I said in passing, you know, didn't really make a big deal. Oh, and I think I was watching a show on TV, one of those Discovery Channel something baby shows um, where there was a surrogate. And um, I was like, look, look, this is so cool. She's carrying somebody else's baby. And then just as we started to work with it more at work, I it started to come up in conversation, of course, more frequently, you know. Um and then after I had my my own two, I mentioned it again. He was kind of like, uh, and then I think it was probably like by the third time I mentioned, he goes, "You really think you can have a baby and hand it over to somebody else?" I said, "Absolutely, absolutely." <laughs> it's just there was never any doubt in my mind about it. I just I was one of yeah. the people that I felt this is going to sound awful. But I just, (laughs) I was just one of those people that when I had my babies, God, I love them dearly. But I, it wasn't that love at first sight thing for me. Like, oh, don't take this baby from my arms ever. I was like, it was kind of where I fell in love over time. 
you know, yeah. it was more of a process for me. So, and I always thought, oh, that's weird. Everybody's like, oh my God, I was in love the minute she was born. I was like, ah, it was cute. <laughs> and I felt very protective over it and this huge responsibility, but I fell in love over time. Yeah. So I Did it didn't. Make a difference to him when you kind of explain the difference with surrogacy? That's like not, it's not you guys as child that you're giving to someone else, but it's their embryo and you know, it's their child the whole time. Oh yeah, yeah. To to him, um, once once I and he kind of he kind of knew that about me because we kind of had that conversation about, you know, the whole love at first sight. I'm like, yeah, they were great and all, but you know, it took me a few weeks <laughs> to fall in love. Um, so he already kind of knew that about me, and he knows that I was so done with babies. Um, the babies, like I loved being pregnant. So this is another thing that he knew very well. I loved being pregnant. I really, really dislike the infant newborn baby stage. <laughs> Out. <laughs> Not. Right? I, which is, I mean, which is funny because I'm most people like when I talk about this, I'll just say, oh, I hated being pregnant. And I'm like, oh, well, there are, you know, a few gems out there who love it, you know. So it is, we're actually talking about those people who love being pregnant but wasn't into infants. Interesting. I, and even before, before, like the surrogacy was ever like a serious thing for me, I would, I just, I remember I would say that a lot, like, oh, if I could just be pregnant but not have to have it, like, <laughs> and, and there was a way you found your perfect, yeah, right, weird, right? Um, or if I could give birth to a four-year-old, even better. I just that would be painful, though, quite honestly. Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Um, or if babies were just more self-sufficient, like it just wasn't. I just wasn't a big fan of the baby stage at all. So I have no problem handing over a baby. <laughs> None, none whatsoever. So, so once and, you guys decided, I say, when you decided between you that you know, like hey, you and your husband, like, did you go through an agency? How did you? Yeah. What yeah. direction did you go? I did. Um, so because I had been, uh, you know, dealing with it at work, I knew a few people, um, and there was you know somebody that I had already been working with just professionally that I, I really liked and had a good rapport with. So. Um, as soon as I got the okay from my husband, I didn't ask twice. As soon as he's like, well, if you think you can do it, go ahead. I was like, zip into conversation, never asked again, ran off, filled out an application. Application's already been done. (laughs) Yeah. So glad you said that. Cause, (laughs) um, so yeah, so I did approach an, um, an agency that I was familiar with already and told her that I wanted to be a surrogate and we filled out an application and I, I hang on to the application for a little bit, um, only because I, my weight always fluctuates. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that I was in more of like a down swoop than an up swoop right? Sure. <laughs> before I turned in the application. That's a hard one. When we're going, when people apply to be gestational carriers, it's like, so it feels just so icky to be like, well, you're above the BMI requirement. Right. And even then that we have intended parents who are like, oh, no, no, the clinic BMI requirement is not good enough for me. I require you to be under 24 BMI or something. You're like, oh, right. Well, that's crazy. People who love to have babies aren't usually in the 24 <laughs> BMI range. Right. That's just yes. not fair. So, yes. um, <laughs> so. 
so I, I did. I hung on to it for maybe just a couple of months. I did like a boot camp. Um, Nice. Like, like I know I did like a six nice. week good yeah. Yeah. Nice. also see yeah yeah um and then when I felt a little more comfortable I turned it in and because I just my uh, friend at the time who also worked at the clinic she's like you're gonna get swooped up super fast so don't turn that in until you're ready and I was like okay so uh, when I did turn it in it wasn't two weeks before I got wow. an email with a letter from Wow. Right. The intended fathers kind of introducing themselves, um, you know, their whole letter to their surrogate. And I just thought, oh, my God, they're adorable. Absolutely. And she said they'd like to meet you. Then they lived in France. They lived in Paris. And she said they would like to fly down for wow. a match. Wait, so hold on. We have to go go back a little bit because you, you told us something beforehand that I now have to lead back to. Um there was a special matching criteria, though. For oh, yes. Yeah, intended so, parents, right? Oh, uh, yeah. So so first she she, she goes, First, she made me fall in love with them. She's like, oh, look how cute they are. Look at the surrogate letter. Aren't they adorable? Mm. Oh, Wait, yes, and can I, they are. And even so before adorable. you go to that, yes. can I, did, were, did you have parents in mind? Were you thinking like heterosexual married couple? Were you a single mother? I opened okay. it up to everybody on my application. Yeah. I marked that I would be comfortable caring for yeah. anybody. Uh, in hindsight, I'm so glad it worked <laughs> out the way it did because I think I'm much better matched to have carried for gay baby mm-hmm. daddies <laughs> now that I've gone through the process. Like to be told you're beautiful every single day oh. you're carrying Right. So I think in a heterosexual couple, I might not have gotten that. <laughs> unless it was or, mm-hmm. or somebody would have been uncomfortable with it at least. Right. Unless it was the wife been, telling yeah. me. I don't think the husband would have been telling right. me. Right. right. So I didn't realize how much I was going to love that piece of it until it was happening. I was like, oh, this is the best. <laughs> um, so yeah, so she's like, okay, great. You'd like to meet them. They're going to fly down and meet you. Fantastic. She's like, there's just one other thing. Oh, there was actually two things. Ooh, two things. Two things. She's like, yeah, two things. She's like, they're patients of Dr. Donishman's, which was my employer. Oh. <laughs> and that was a coincidence. Uh, that was yeah. not planned. That was no, that was a coincidence. I could have been matched with anybody, but this couple that came up that she thought I was going to be a perfect match for, they had already had like an initial consultation with Dr. Donishman. Um, so she's like, they're, ma- they're, they're patients of Dr. Donishman's and they're filming a documentary. <laughs> they said, you don't have to be part of the documentary if you don't want to. They're more concerned with um, finding a perfect match for them than somebody to participate. And I think because of that, I just felt like, oh, you know, that's really sweet. Like, they're taking this very seriously. It's not all about the documentary. So mm-hmm. I could have said no. You know, they were more concerned that, you know, if we met and we hit it off and everything seemed perfect, if I didn't want to be part of the documentary, they were going to be okay with that. Um, because the documentary itself was more about the French law surrounding, you know, surrogacy and how it's illegal there and how they have to leave their own country to have a baby. So, yeah. And how uh, did your husband feel about the idea of being of the documentary as well? Uh, so he does, he didn't get it. He didn't, he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't care for the whole idea. So he was, so here I finally talk him into surrogacy and then I'm like, Oh, it's gay baby daddies. You're okay with that. Right. He's like, uh, that's, that's what you want. Okay, fine. Yeah. Oh, they're Dr. D's patients. He's going to have to see my vagina. We cool with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. If you are, I am, I guess. Okay. Oh, they're filming a documentary. 
And all of France will see my vagina. Is that Are you cool? okay with that? <laughs> L, yeah, everybody right, in the world right. is going to see this now. It's going to be the whole world seeing my vagina. Are we cool with that? <laughs> oh, the poor guy, I swear. So um, he was like, why? What for? What Like, what's this about? And I'm like, oh, it's about French law and this and that. And he's like, well, if they said you don't have to do it, then don't do it. And I'm like, oh, I kind of want I kind of want to. Like, it's kind of interesting. So um, he's like, well, that's fine. I just, he goes, I don't have to do it, right? I said, no, you don't have to do it. So that was kind of like the, that was the agreement from the start. He did not have to participate. So long as he did not have to participate in the documentary, he did not care that I did it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So it gets a little tricky on down the line. Right. I'm that. sure. Because yeah, he has to actually be present at certain things. Right? Certain yes. Moments, yes. Right? Yes. So did you have to sign kind of like hardcore confidentiality yeah. with a documentary or how did that go? Uh, yeah. So, um, so, so, so then we do the match meeting. We fall in love. Everything's fantastic. Um, they said. Did they film the match meeting also? They did. They did. Mm-hmm. But the director of the documentary did not come to the match meeting. He sent his sister and. Um, uh, another assistant that he had. So he didn't, so I didn't meet him until later. So two very nice ladies came and they did film and we met at the park down the street and it was the whole thing where they put a mic on me and I was like, oh my God, this is real. This is really happening. Uh, it's a certain, like a match meeting's right. not, already, you know. Already nerve wracking. Yeah, exactly. Right. Already <laughs> nerve wracking and just awkward all just to begin with. Um, here I am mic'd up with a camera on my face. So, yeah. So we met at the park down the street. Um, and I had discussed that with my husband in advance. I said, let me, let me go and see how comfortable I am with the situation, with the camera, with everything. And if everything pans out and I think it's okay, then I'll bring him to Mm -hmm. the house. Um, but no camera was the initial agreement for the first meeting. So, um, so the meeting went great at the park, and then we took off the mic, turned off the cameras, and then we drove down the street, and they got to come inside and meet the family and mm-hmm. see the house. Um, right. And, and what, what do you think of them? He liked him. He liked him. He thought they were very nice. They're very um, – they, uh, they're just mm-hmm. adorable. They're like the – like if you were to look up, you know, beautiful, tall, Parisian man <laughs> in eh, – Google it, like these two, oh, these guys okay. would come up. Like they're just <laughs> and absolutely adorable. They were like six, six, five. For and listeners who Ugh. want to Google it, they can just look up your documentary, right? And actually see them. What, what? At some, At some point, point. Okay, yes. not yet. Um, you know what? You know what? There is a Facebook page that they started when they okay. initially did it called Ghost of the Republic. So you can see like some of the starter, um, like the starter videos or whatever they call that when they were trying to get, you know, do get the funding and all this stuff. I, I don't know the proper terms for all those things. Um, but yeah, it's ghosts of the Republic and you can see these two mm-hmm. beautiful. Okay. I'm totally <laughs> into you and also Googling yeah. right now. But. Right? right? <laughs> like all of us are going to pause. Sorry. There's gonna be a slowdown in recording as we all Google. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, so you had your first match meeting, then I assumed everything kind of moved. 
and I'm going to say normally because, you know, I'm assuming that people know what normal is for surrogacy. <laughs> um, but, you know, so you you did kind of the typical you know, next step, go have your records reviewed, then you go have oh, yeah. an evaluation at the clinic, which yeah. is where your boss is, right? Yeah, yeah. so I got off easy the, the first um, with the evaluation because we had a physician assistant at the office. I was like, will you please do Will you please do my sauna and my vag cultures? I'm going to hold off on Dr. DC and my vagina for as long as possible. Please. So, um, and she was also my friend. So she went ahead and she, she did my, my, my screening for me. Thank God. Um, so, and yeah, I know everything went super smooth. Like it, the mm. whole, the whole journey went really smooth. So screening went smooth. So, so after we did the initial match meeting, so then the director of the documentary reaches out to me and he's like, hey, um, you know, I just wanted to schedule a time to meet with you. I didn't get to meet with you initially. Um, I'm going to be in town. Can we meet for dinner? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, yeah, this, this is my chance to ask all my questions. Like what's right. going to be seen? Yeah. How do we, you know, regulate what's going to be seen and how right. does all this work? So, and he, he's like, you know, and I'm sure you probably have some questions. So I'm coming down. Let's, let's meet. So we did. And it's basically, you just kind of sign your, sign your life away on these things. Um, wow. You really don't get any control. Like, you know, there's, there was never anything that said, no, your vagina will not be in this documentary. No, it's oh, just wow. basically, wow. Yeah, it's just basically your, they tell you, okay, no. So this is what he said. He's like, we're not trying to gross out the audience. So, and I was like, whoa. You're like, wait a second. That, hey, was, the, hey, that was the hey. rudest thing you could say you to a woman really also. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. See you don't even know. Yet. How do you know it's going to gross anybody out? <laughs> wow. So, but that's how yeah. he put it to me. He's like, you know, it's going to be done very tastefully. Um, you know, there's, there's not going to be actual vagina in the final cut. But in the filming of it, it's going to be hard to not have it on film. It's just not going to be in the final cut. So right. it just kind of. Can, can you reenact that and say it with like a really strong French accent? <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's not French. He's from LA. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Yeah. I know. I know. No, he was an, an LA director. So it kind of became like a joke between me and my husband. He's like, oh, no, all those scenes are in the director's cut. <laughs> I was like, oh god. He's like, oh yeah. I'm looking for that Facebook page right now. Directors <laughs> the Republic. Saving that for the director's cut. So um, um if, if anyone's curious, I did like and follow the Facebook page and the about slash plot outline, a documentary film about a gay couple forced to break French law to create their own family via international surrogacy in the USA. Yep. That's my baby daddy. Yeah. So you signed your vagina away. Signed my vagina away. So and then, so that's the one thing that my husband just couldn't wrap his head around. Why I trusted that the my vagina wasn't going to show up everywhere, and I was like, I, I mean, that's you know, hard. The director was uh, well, and he was actually friends of the intended fathers. He was a friend of theirs as well. So, uh, and that's kind of how this came about for them. Um, they met him years ago through other friends and you know he was a documentary filmmaker it's not his first documentary um so he when they started on this surrogacy path and you know just started talking to him about what they had to go through to have this baby he's like that would be great for my next film 
I'm guessing that's how that came up. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, screening went great. So we showed up for the screening. So um, full-on camera. So that was my first time I was introduced to the camera with no clothes on. Awesome. But did the intended parents come back throughout the journey through any of this? Yes. So one of them works for um, the airlines. And, yeah, so they came, like, every three months they came out. And it was it was awesome. Like they didn't come for embryo transfer. We did a lot of things via Skype, um, like most international couples journeys go. Um, but they came for uh, that was the first. I think the sex. No, I feel like they were here before that. I feel like they were here sometime around like the three month mark, and then yeah, and then came back out again for when we did the gender, the gender ultrasound, the anatomy scan, all that stuff. Yes. Did, did you finally have to show your boss your vagina when you had the uh, transfer? Oh, yes, I did. And that story. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so everything went smooth with screening. Like everything progressed pretty quickly. So we had our match meeting in September. I think I was medically cleared um sometime in December and embryo transfer at the time it was done um in conjunction with the egg donors when we were still doing fresh, fresh. embryo transfer okay. so me and the egg donors you know basically cycled together so um I had my embryo transfer at the very beginning of February wow that was pretty quick yeah 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 everything went really quick um so, yeah, so the boss had to, finally I had to let the boss see the vagina. So we go in, so we're, so camera and everything, right? So we have all these extra people in my transfer room. Yeah. So, because we have, oh, my husband came. He was nice enough to accompany me. He held one of the phones with Skype because both my intended parents were not in the same place. Oh, so no. we had them on two separate, yeah. So my husband was holding one, my phone, I had another staff member in there holding the computer that had the other intended father on it. I had the cameraman in there. I think he might have had one of his assistants in there. And then the two people assisting transfer and then Dr. Donishman. It's a big room, so there was, you know, (laughs) but... Yeah, probably record record for most people in embryo transfer. Right. Stadium seating. Wow. (laughs) Right, right. So... So, uh, so the camera guy mics up my, I'm mic'd up and Dr. Um, Donishman is mic'd up, right? So, um, so he, you know, I'm in the stirrups and, you know, he says hi to everybody and shows them the embryo on the screen and he gets in there and he's like, all right, I'm just going to get in here. And, and he's like, oh, let me just clean out this cervical mucus here first. <laughs> And you're like, awesome. Out loud, mic'd up. I was like, I wanted to jump up and yell, cut. No. Negative. Did that make the documentary? Do you know? No, thank God. And I told him afterwards, I'm like, if anything about cervical mucus makes it in this documentary, I swear to God. And I reminded him several times throughout the process. Oh, okay. Again, look for that piece because I don't want it in there. Um, wow. Oh, I was mortified. I was, what, who announces cervical mucus to the room? Right. <laughs> <sighs> an IVF doc. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, just, it's casual conversation for an IVF doc, you know? <laughs> right? 
Come on, Dr. D. I thought we were friends. <laughs> he probably would not even remember doing it. Did, did you unfriend him after that? <laughs> no. Um, sorry. Uh, he, no, I did not unfriend him after that, but <laughs> I should have. Oh my God. So, um, so first transfer took. Congratulations. Yay. It was awesome. Very yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. We, I, we just had a really smooth journey. It took super easy. So, but I'll have to say I was very surprised because at some point, I want to say I did like a day six lab. Um, yeah. You know, benefit of working at the fertility center. Right. And it wasn't very high. It wasn't very high oh. at all. I mean, yeah. I'm mean low like, like a six or something, if I remember correctly. Oh. oh, wow. That's scary. Yes. And I remember just like the heartbreak I was feeling. And I was really shocked at how hard I was taking the fact that, oh, this may not have worked. Yeah. Just, I was devastated for them, for, I just, you just feel so responsible. Mm -hmm. Like, and everybody will tell, oh, it's not your fault. You can't control these things. You can't just not take that feeling away. I was crushed. Did you say anything? I didn't. I didn't. Um, but just because I know better because I've seen things, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I know a six isn't a one. So, um, and, and it and, was so early know, too. Yeah. It was, it was early. And y- we, at the time, I think we were doing day five on um, most of our transfers I, just to see if it was starting to rise. So then by day 10, if it had doubled, then you were even more confident about the, the pregnancy mm-hmm. being actual pregnancy um but you know we usually saw higher than a six so that kind of broke my heart a little bit and I thought oh what if this didn't work but but it wasn't enough to count it out completely but I just some serious heartbreak Mm -hmm. and so was it a single embryo that was transferred or was it more than one oh yeah no only one only one embryo and they did not do pgs yeah um I just I never wanted to take the chance right because you just said you had a French or, I'm sorry, you had a fresh transfer. So, yeah, it was, couldn't have been. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No PGS, fresh transfer. And I I enjoyed pregnancy so much. I didn't want to ruin this experience for myself, for them. I wasn't going to chance it with twins. Yeah. And I'm only barely five, five, maybe one first thing in the morning, <laughs> and then I shrink throughout the day. Like, I'm just barely over five feet. Twins would not have been a good idea. And it just would have ruined the experience. Mm-hmm. I. How many days they leave you hanging, thinking like, "Oh no, this did not work." How many days was between that six-day blood test and the next one? Was it until the ten? The tenth day. day 10. The four day. Yeah. Misery. Day ten, and then. Yes, four days of heartbreak. With they're like, text me. How do you feel? Oh, no. And oh. I'm like. Uh, yeah. Oh, I feel good. I used to, it was just so hard. I didn't know what to say. And I didn't want to say too much one way or the other, or, you know, and, and it's, and it's every little thing you're like, okay, is that a symptom? I, I'm cramping. That's good. Or that could be bad. That could be my period. Or that could be implantation. Like <laughs> you just never know. So, um, so then we did the day 10, which was actually, I think landed on Valentine's day or the day right after. I can't remember now. I feel like Valentine's Day is when it was actually confirmed. Um, and it was a positive, thank God. 
thank God. And then everything just went. Yeah. Very was smooth it, after was that. Was it really high or was it just kind of gradually going up? And- um, it wasn't super high. I think okay. it was like a mm, 33 or something. Okay. But you're like six to 33. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I'll take it. I will take it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a positive. And just after, after that, I just, I felt really good about the whole thing. Um, and you know, we just had, you know, we did the, the heartbeat came not long after that. Everything was good. You know, I peaked, I peaked when I was, (laughs) I did peak. I knew there was going to be a heartbeat before the heartbeat ultrasound because I can't not peak. Um, benefits to work <laughs> wait yeah. and by peak like you went and you like did your own ultrasound or like you had a friend do it oh no I had I had my friend Amity do it the PA wow yeah and you did but did not say anything to them you're like oh, no, no. wow no. how I just you know back. if anybody else had the ability to be like I want to make sure there's a heartbeat before we do the heartbeat <laughs> just to be prepared for it oh yeah. yeah, I'm with you. If there's knowledge available, I want to know it. I'm not one of those, oh, don't tell me. No, no. No. Oh, no, I want to know everything. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we did the uh, heartbeat ultrasound. I think was great. We did all that via Skype. Um, and that was fantastic. And then we had a teeny, tiny little scare mm. at about 15 weeks along. Um, it's in, it is in the, in the film, it's in the documentary where it, and it was uh, so frustrating because it all ended up just being basically a lab mistake, which is the worst part. So, or no, not even a lab, a paperwork mistake. So, uh, even though I was at, um, you know, even though my doctor's office, my OB that I was with knew that this was a surrogate pregnancy, knew that it was an egg donor. Everybody was very well aware when they did my first trimester blood draw, you know, the this, this screening, um, or the second trimester, no, it was, it was in the second trimester, when they drew the blood to send for, you know, all the, the Down syndrome factors and, you know, how they calculate all that, they failed to mark or put on the paperwork, basically, that the egg donor was 23 years old. Oh. So they put my age down. So they use that in order to get these ratios, these numbers mm. as to what the probability of down syndrome is. Oh. So not realizing that, so I get the doc- the doctor's office calls me. He's like, "Hey, you have a your results came back and there's a 1 in 23 that the baby mm. has down syndrome, which is really high." Um and I didn't know that. I was like, "Okay, 1 in 23 is that is that bad? Is that right, normal? Is that right?" Right. Mean? Like um and when you go back and look, it's usually like a one in 200, 300 something. And I was like, oh, that is not good. So, you know, I had to, I had to call them. I had to tell them this and they, you know, basically flew down. So you told the guys, you told the dads, not the doctor? I did. He asked me, he called me. Mm-hmm. He's like, are you comfortable giving them this information? And then I can talk to him if they want to. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to refer you to a perinatologist. Do you have one in mind? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they should probably either, you know, do a phone consult with him or whatever the case may be. Right. So, yeah, no, I'm comfortable telling them. And I know a perinatologist. So I'll go ahead and book it. And, you know, I just kind of took it from there. Right. Um, so I booked our appointment with the perinatologist where we meet with a genetic counselor. They flew down for it. Oh, wow. Um, 
Yeah. And it was also going to be, you know, it was also at the same time as the, um, you know, like the anatomy scan and the sex and all of that. So they're like, let's just, let's just get on a plane and go. Mm -hmm. So they came down for it. So we sit and we're talking to this genetic counselor. There's only a quick snippet of it in the film, but we were probably talking to her for a good hour before she looks at the labs and realizes that they calculated everything based off of my age and not the egg donor age. <sighs> I'm sure that yeah. had to have been, it'd be interesting if they did put that in the film about the relief, the look of relief it has to be. Well, I, I you, you can't really see on me, but it's more of the look of frustration. Oh, really? Like, come on, <laughs> come on, guys. I like just went through all of this because, for nothing. Yeah. No. Yes. Yes, we had already been there for an hour and she's explaining, talking about council testing and all this. I'm like, we're past this. We are past all this. Why are, why are we even talking about this? I was, was actually getting really frustrated. Yeah. I'm like, the council test, that's all stuff you do prior to. That's not going to help us in the situation we're in right now. Um, and then she's looking at the lab. She's like, oh, no, they, they, they did this based on... Um, your age, not the egg donor. And I just, I was like, how quickly can you get this fixed? <laughs> <laughs> so agitated. I felt so bad for them. All that worry over almost nothing. Um, oh, it was, it was, that, that was a frustrating um, experience, but it ended like we ended up doing so. They recalculated it and it was still a slightly high risk. It was like, I guess the cutoff is like one in two thirty for her age, and it ended up being like one in two oh eight still. So I guess it was still considered a positive. Mm. I don't know, but still, it wasn't one in twenty three. So um, we opted for the um, the the blood test that they can do um, now. They can do it as early as ten weeks now, basically to tell you if there's any chromosomal abnormalities. So where they just drew my blood and sent it off and, you know, two weeks, I don't even know if it was two weeks later, we knew everything was fine. But we went from that meeting into the ultrasound. Um, and the ultrasound tech did all of the measurements and checked the, what is it, the nuchal fold and all those things they look at to look for Down syndrome. And she didn't see anything on ultrasound either. But she said ultrasound's only like, you know, 50-50. Um, oh, I didn't know it was that yeah. so interesting. Yeah, that's what she said. She's only she said only fifty percent of the time you can actually see those markers on ultrasound. Um, but after the ultrasound, not seeing anything, and after knowing that it, you know, it was really a one in two hundred and eight. I don't. We just all kind of agreed that we felt good about it and didn't think it was going to. We didn't think that there was going to be a problem. We didn't think that it was there was any Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. So we just really didn't worry about it after that we went on and they found out the that sex of the baby and I say we celebrated and the results came back a week later and everything was good what was the sex of the baby yeah. sorry you, you glossed over that like you're like everyone's excited but we don't know what to be excited about <laughs> a girl sorry <laughs> oh, she's the sweetest little prettiest little french girl you've ever oh, seen nice. oh my god love it so absolutely adorable little girl named louise mm. Yes. And how did the rest of the pregnancy and the delivery go? Oh, my gosh. So um, so then there was these, you know, all these, you know, moments where, like, so he would follow me around with the camera. So he would come every so often, come with me to pick kids up from school. He'd come take footage of me at work. Um, and was just, it really, you know, was it really natural or did they try to manufacture stuff? Like, hey, ask her an awkward question about her pregnancy. No, just 
No, it was actually very okay. natural. Yeah, there there wasn't there wasn't any staging in anything except for, um, you know, trying to get Doctor D in the right place at the right time. Sometime there was <laughs> there was some staging going on with oh, we you know I want to tell her she's pregnant, but I want to tell her on camera, but I'm not there that day. Can you come uh, back? Okay. Like yeah. I already know I'm pregnant. Why are we going through all this trouble? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I had to come back to the office on a Saturday where the cameraman could be there and Dr. D could oh, wow. be there. And it didn't even it didn't even make it in the film. I was like, oh no. <laughs> come on, guys. Yeah. Yeah, just that 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 was probably it. Other than that, it was just very natural. He would he would follow me around and the doc he would ask questions. So the the um director would ask questions on camera. So if there was mm-hmm. something he wanted to know, he would ask. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so they were here for the 4th of July was one of their visits. They came out. I was pretty far along at that point. I think I was, I um, had to be, oh, I look much bigger than I am. So that's in the film. Uh, <laughs> ugh, I, I was probably like six and a half months pregnant, even though I look a good eight. Um, but that's just how I carry. So we spent the 4th of July together here, and that was fantastic. Like the, mm. the boy, I call it the boys. My boys are the baby daddies. Uh, they really enjoyed that. They hadn't had an American Fourth of July, so we did fireworks and barbecued hot dogs, and my family was over, and oh, just such nice memories. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and we did. We just started getting closer and closer, and every time they left, it got harder and oh. harder to say goodbye. Yeah, we just kind of um, got very attached very quickly, and I think I was maybe like that Fourth of July visit where I might have been five or six months along. They're like, well, we already know we want one more baby, and we don't want to do this without you. So, oh wow, you consider the sibling journey, and I was like, oh my god! Like I, my first thought was, I'm old. I don't know that I. Can. Oh. <laughs> I did. I just said, I don't want you guys to feel rushed because my uterus has an expiration date that's approaching. <laughs> that was my first thought. They're like, oh, but we just, I don't know, because I was thirty nine when I delivered their first one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that, that conversation came up before the first one was even born. Yes. Yes. But that's just, I I don't know. We just grew so close and it was such a wonderful thing. Um, and then come to delivery. So the cameraman would come every once in a while. Um, and he would, you know, like I said, follow me around, film me at work, um, film me getting the boys ready for school, taking them to school. Um, so there's lots of footage of the 4th of July and talking to my family and just, um, I don't, I can't even remember how many hours of footage he said he had in the end. Um, I think he probably had trouble. I think he, he recut this documentary. I don't know how many hundreds of times, um, to get it down to, I think like an hour and 20 minutes or something. Wow. So um, when you, when you got to yeah. delivery, did you have like a contracted list, like basically of how you had to like make phone calls? Cause I mean, I assume you had to get the production team there and babies don't come when, you know, <laughs> on a schedule. Oh yeah. yeah. No, so this was just one man and his camera. So he didn't have a production team. So sometimes if he was coming and he was going to be setting up like formal interviews and need lighting and stuff like that, he would bring a team with him. Um, but he was just coming to get raw footage. It was just him and his big fancy camera. So so that's how um, 
the delivery went. And as we got closer, he's like, you know, are you sure your husband doesn't want to do this? Can he, you know, can we, it's going to look strange if we don't do an interview with him. I'm like, he does not. And if I keep asking him, he's going to get angry. And he did, he got annoyed. Um, situation. So yeah, it kind of got to where he's like, "Ugh, is Jonathan coming? I don't want to do it. You know, I know, I know. So I was, you know, it got hard for me at some point. I'm like, Oh yes, he's coming. Can you just be nice? Like, Right. Yeah. An extra level of stress in a situation that can already be stressful anyway. Yeah. Because like when, when he came, like when he came for the 4th of July, like my entire, you know, family that lives local to me was here. Um, they all signed waivers. They all signed waivers saying that they were going to be on camera and that they were okay with it and all that good. They, they all signed their life away. My husband would never sign his life away. He's not signing it. He's just super yeah. adamant. He's just very private. He's very private and didn't want yeah. mm-hmm. to really have, that's just who he is. Right. And there wasn't change in his mind. Uh, um, so delivery. Okay, so, was the, <laughs> so it was yes. just, did they make it? Were they there? Oh yeah. So I was, um, we had agreed um, in the beginning because I was induced with my own two. Um, mm-hmm. just I carry very big babies and I'm short. So, um, my second one was born at 39 weeks and he was eight, three. Uh, and I was seeing a perinatologist, um, even though I didn't need to, I was 34 when I delivered him, but he was the doctor that we refer all of our patients to. So just as a courtesy, he would see any of the fertility center employees. So we almost all of us saw the same doctor when we (laughs) delivered our babies. Um, so if our insurance was okay with it, we would all go see him and he was fantastic. Um, so I already knew that I uh, was okay being induced at 39 weeks. That's what I did with my last one. And I told them up front, I'm comfortably being induced. Uh, my, I, I think I was six hours with the induction. Um, that way it kind of makes it easier for everybody. Um, that way you know when to be here. You know, we, we know when go time is. God forbid something happened sooner. We all knew that was a possibility. I just deep down didn't think that was going to happen. So my babies have to be evicted. <laughs> oh. So they're, I just make it too too comfortable in there. They never want to come out. You're like, I told you I so, like being pregnant. Uh, they could just stay in until they're four, right? <laughs> perfect. Oh, I probably would have had a lot more kids. Um so we were induced, uh, we had planned to be induced at 39 weeks. So they were still here like a week early, um, just to, you know, get set up and to come and buy whatever it was that they were going to need for the baby. And, um, it's Vegas. So it's easy to find like a really nice, like vacation rental with washers and dryers and full kitchens. And so they came about a week early and got set up. Cameraman was here a few days before he was on call. Like he knew. He knew he lived in LA. So if he had to hop a plane or hop in his car, whatever the case may be, he, he could be here fairly. Quickly. Yeah. So he was on call. He knew because after filming all that footage, he's like, I'll be damned if I'm going to miss right? the delivery. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he was prepared as well. Um, so we were on baby watch for sure. The last few weeks. Um, then we got to induction day and it was like two o'clock in the morning. They had me checking in at the hospital at these ungodly hours. And I hadn't eaten for uh, what, probably 24 hours before that because 
I had only had vaginal deliveries. And with each vaginal delivery, I did what everybody fears they're going to do, pushing out a baby. And I pooped all over the place. So, (laughs) awful. So my husband, of course, this was his favorite part of the whole thing. He's like, oh, I can't wait to see the look on their faces when you crap all over the table. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God. You are not helping. Thanks, sweetie. Thank you for your support. I appreciate exactly. that. Thanks, babe. Thanks, babe. So I'm like, oh my God, I will. I'll mortify them. <gasps> oh, I can't let that happen. So I stopped eating. I stopped eating like 24 oh, hours wow. before the induction because I was expecting a vaginal delivery and I did not want to crap all over the table. Oh, wow. oh God. So, um, so I thought, okay, let's get in there. Let's get this induction going. Let's get this baby out in six hours and get me a sub sandwich. I am starving. <laughs> so, no, that's not how it happened. Oh, of course not. No. Uh, she wasn't putting, I couldn't, they couldn't get me to dilate past a seven, I believe. So, um, we were in this room, and it was the weirdest thing, like, thinking back now, that we were in this room in the hospital that had no windows to the outside. So it was like an internal room. So we had no concept of night or day the whole time we were in there. Like, it felt like we were kind of, like, down in a dungeon. Mm-hmm. It was weird. Um, mm-hmm. And it was the same night that Lamar Odom was found unconscious in the whatever bunny ranch out. Mm-hmm. So we're watching all this unfold on TV, like, wow, this is crazy. Um, and all these hours were just passing and we were not fully aware of how much time had passed. Like I would, so I got epidurals, um, plural (laughs) epidurals because they were wearing off. Um, but I remember at one point I would, I sat up, um, I had kind of come to, and I kind of like sat up a little bit to look around and I had two, you know, six feet, whatever, Frenchmen passed out um, on the floor. (laughs) Director with the camera passed out in a chair. My husband passed out in a chair. And then the the sweet agency lady that was there the entire time with us as well, she had like my tray table and she had her laptop on it. Like she was trying to work, but she was passed out on her laptop. So (laughs) I'm like, oh, I wish I could reach my phone. It was like charging or something. It wasn't even near my reach. I'm like, I would love to take a picture of this room right now. Everybody just down, down for the count. So 22 something hours later, I finally realized I needed a C-section or this baby wasn't going to come out. They couldn't, it was, she wasn't putting even pressure on the cervix, I guess is what it was. So one side was effacing, the other side wasn't. The nurse was like, you know, you can, you can try to push, but you're probably going to end up doing a lot of damage and still need a C-section. Like, do you want all that damage and have to deal with the C-section? I was like, oh, right. no. And it just never... Until, like, it seemed like until that very minute, 22-something, whatever, hours in, it never dawned on me that a C-section was going to be what happened. Like, I just, it's Mm. so weird to me. Like, even the doctor came in and checked on me maybe, like, 10 hours in and um, mentioned something about a C-section, and I laughed it off. Like, eh, nah. I don't know why. Yeah. And at the time I thought, and there's, oh, I feel so bad now looking back because there's, I don't even remember saying it, but there's some footage like the day before delivery 
where um, the cameraman's asking me, he's like, so what's, you know, like, what's your biggest fear right now? What's the worst thing that can happen? I'm like, oh, C-section. That's the worst thing that could happen. Oh. Yeah. And that made the film. And I was like, ugh. So that's what happened. So I looked at my husband. He was kind of like standing. Like I had my back because at that point the epidural was wearing off again. And I didn't want the boys to see me in pain. So I kind of had my back roll to him. And, you know, I just didn't want them to know (laughs) how painful it was. Because one of them, Nicholas, very sensitive to where, like, he can feel my pain. Like, he's so connected with me throughout the process. He even passed out at one point during the delivery when they pushed my second epidural. I do that thing where I kind of, like, pass out a little bit. Um, and so like the alarms and stuff start beeping and things start happening. And I remember, um, in the bed as I'm about to pass out, I kind of looked over towards the wall and I saw Nicholas in the chair passed out, like patched out, like slumped over. And I remember like the last thing I said was, Oh my God, he's not okay. And then everybody turns around and like rushes to him. And then you pass out. And then I don't (laughs) And then I remember nothing after that. Yes, yes. Oh. So, me in that situation, he passed out. Poor guy. Oh. So, um, so I had my back rolled to him at this point um, because, you know, contractions are strong because I got this Pitocin turned all the way up trying to make something happen that just wasn't happening. Um, and I just remember looking at my husband. I'm like, I think I need a C-section. And he just oh. kind of looked at me like, you're the yeah. last one in this room to come to that conclusion. Oh, wow. <laughs> he did He's not say waiting that. on you. <laughs> I know. He did not say it, but that mm. was the look on his face like, thank God you finally figured it out. Nobody was wanted to tell you this. Uh, <laughs> so I did. I called it. And was it you? So it was you that triggered them going to that? Yeah. Or did it I, you being like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I finally said, I'm ready. I'm ready for C-section. They called the doctor. He was down there in 20 minutes. And I was prepped. The boys, you know, they were upset. They were scared. They were crying. They were hugging Aww. me. And I was Aww. like, it's okay. I am going to be fine. Like, once I decided to go yeah. ahead and do it, I was like, let's do it. I'm fine. I got this. No big deal. So. And who we went, went with you? So, Ah, this is where it gets funny. I was going to say, especially so, with cameras and everything else, I'm like... Yes. Yeah. So with cameras, with it being an unplanned C-section, they weren't prepared to let the filmmaker, the documentary, oh, um, wow. or the director in the room. And he was upset. Right. Um, so they right. had to call the poor marketing lady out of bed at, you know, two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> she came down <sighs> to deal with the whole situation because he's like, no, I am not, not seeing this baby be born. <laughs> wow. Yes, yes. So, um, at some point I'm, they have me in, they're, you know, got all the juices and stuff flowing in me and I kind of, I get really nauseous, um, with like anesthesia so I'm like throwing up all over oh, my gown no. I know my oh. husband's in there and he's trying to comfort me and I'm like I want to, they're gonna let the boys in right up please 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 I want the boys to see this you know so yeah. and they were the hospital was very very nice about the entire thing they were very accommodating um so at some point the marketing lady comes in and she's like she goes this is up to you if you want the cameraman in then I will allow him in and I was like, yes, just let him in. Let's get this going. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm ready to be done I'm puking. Amazed it was, I'm really amazed it was the marketing person that decided. I, I, I thought it was like the 
Anesthesiologists like, or something. No, no. Mm-mm. I, I mean, I'm, they may have had conversations outside the door with the anesthesiologist and the doctor, and it may have been yeah. a point thing where they're like, you know what, if she's okay with it, then we're all okay with it. So, yeah. and that's what happened. She came in and she's like, if you're okay with this, I'll let him in. I'm like, let him in. Let's just do this. So, and he got my husband to hold one of the cameras. <laughs> so he wanted, uh-huh. <laughs> Paul said he felt so bad for him at that point. He goes, I never thought I'd feel bad for him, but I felt bad for him. Oh. <laughs> Yes. So he um, he gave my husband like a small like handheld camcorder so that you could get footage from my head, uh, you know, of me at the top of the because, you know, they hang up that big old drape. Right. And then <laughs> Jonathan got all the footage from the, the back end. So and then they cut Louise out a few minutes later and was done. Sewed me up and put me on drugs and I was floating. And then you got your sub sandwich finally. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh, oh my God. Hours and hours. And I, I, they, so I had told the doctor, I'm like, I haven't eaten in like so many hours that that's how I was probably like 72, whatever hours. And he's like, all right, well, I'll tell the nurses that it's okay that you have something or whatever. So they Mm. bring me in a chocolate pudding and she's like, you know, I really wouldn't advise this. It's kind of soon. I was like, what? I'm fine. I'm starving. Give it to me. Two bites of chocolate pudding down my throat, and it all comes back uh, up. She's like, this is why we tell the doctors that they're not mm. supposed to, they don't always know best. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Like, you need to wait a couple more hours. I was like, oh, my God. Well, I guess it tasted good for a minute. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, gross. So, yeah, the nurses do know best. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah. just to, to fast forward, so then you went through it all again. I just I did. I did. And, so. and a documentary is not out yet. Is that right? That people can right. watch like parts of it, but it hasn't been released. Yeah. So I think there's little snippets <laughs> on that Facebook page, little pieces and stuff here and there. Um, but it's not it's not out yet. Um <laughs> the longest I don't I we figured it'd be done before she turned one, at least. Well, <laughs> it didn't happen. And then we thought, oh, it's got to be done before I have the second baby. Nah, didn't wow. wow. So now the and second baby's turned one. And it's still was, wow. was the second baby documented also? Or is that no. documented? Nice. Okay. Not at all. No, no documentary for the second baby. I'm sure that your was husband was relieved. Oh, totally. Right. Totally. Yeah, that was his first question. That was his first question. I'm like, well, you know, they want me to do this again. He's like, without the director or without the camera or something. And mm-hmm. I was like, yes, without the camera. Without the camera. Great. Yeah. Yeah, so they oh. came out here for her first birthday, and we celebrated mm-hmm. her first birthday together. I've been to oh. France now twice since. Oh, that's great. Yes, we're just super, super close. And they're coming here now. Um, next April, we're taking a family vacation together to San Diego. Aww. Oh, so nice. That's yes. fantastic. Oh. I know. And second time, everything went just as smooth. Uh, first transfer, embryo took. Pregnancy, super easy. Planned C-section. Yeah. I didn't even make my husband come to the hospital this time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, the boys will take care of me. I got this. Don't. Nope. <laughs> Stay here. Take care of the. I'll tell you when to pick me up. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yep. The me and the boys just went to the hospital. They both came in the C section. They held my hand, 
took some pictures. We had the baby. Everything was fantastic. And he was big. Oh, my gosh. Last one was 9 pounds, 10 ounces. Wow. That was a big baby. Well, that is an amazing story. I mean, surrogacy is always amazing that someone's willing to go through this for someone else. But you just have the extra elements of this sweet couple from France and a documentary. And um, you were very kind to share all of the uh, the details that we don't always hear about, such as your cervical mucus. <laughs> and I did not have to poop on the table. That was the ending to the C-section right that, there. All that, that is- worrying for nothing. And the happy ending to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much, Crystal. We appreciate that you've shared all this with us, uh, especially the poop. We like talking about poop. Right? (laughs) Why not? I mean, it's real. It happens. It's a thing. Thanks, Crystal, for sharing your story. I'm very much looking for that document. Looking forward to that documentary. I know, and, uh, right? Watching that, yes. I, mean, I feel like we did not give the second child any of their due justice. Like, uh, like, is, like is normal for second that, children, right? That feels yeah. like my life. Like, oh, Jen was born. Here's the story. Oh, uh, oh right. There was a second oh, one later. Yeah, all right. Second oh, child came oh, in. Oh, yeah, that feels yeah, right. So. Um, that's all right. Luckily, the podcast is our first child. So we can give all of our attention to our podcast and all of our thanks to all of our people. Uh, (laughs) But this also is the end of our season. So we are going to take as per normal a couple week break and we will come back in early December. We're going to take off a little bit of time for Thanksgiving here. But we've already been starting to line up. We've been starting to line up some guests who are really good. So I'm excited about next season too. I am excited. (laughs) But if you guys have ideas still, always, even when we're on the break, give us a call at 303 997-1903 and we are we'd be happy to track hopefully down whoever it is that you suggest for us to bring on as always again huge thank you at the end of our season to everybody who makes us sound phenomenal and i'm gonna die if i forget somebody this time come on now don't forget um chris at work at bird studios lexi uh amanda tyler ashley everybody in our team who supports us and makes us sound great and feel great. And we hope that they have a wonderful Thanksgiving and we hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving and start to your, your holiday season. Thanks. Bye. Bye.